Mr. Green? Yeah. You need any help? Mm-mm. Want my Coke? No, no. Really, you can have it. Okay. Thanks. That's the way it should be. I like to say the whole world smiling with me. If I promise to give you half a cookie and then don't, how will you feel? How about if I promise to give you half a cookie and then give you slightly more than half, how will you feel then? Well, if you believe research that was done a couple of years ago with the first non-cookie broken promise scenario, you'll be unhappy or sad or disappointed. But if in the latter scenario where I give you more than half the cookie, it turns out you'll not be more happy than if I had just given you exactly half. The research found that people are unhappy about broken promises and happy about kept promises, of course, but they are no more happy about an over-delivery of a promise. And that's an interesting thing when we think about how many promises we make as a person or as a brand every single day. Promising is something we do habitually. We want to keep our word, pledge, hold to it, come through in the end, fulfill, honor, meet, deliver, pinky swear, solemnly swear. We have the ones we want to keep, of course. I'll see you tomorrow. I'll get back to you on that. Here are my action items. To the ones we know we're not going to keep, like when the doctor says, this is not going to hurt, or your date says, I'll call you tomorrow, or you tell your wife, yes, I'll take out the garbage. Now, for the record, it was when I was going to take out the garbage, not if I would take out the garbage. Anyway, all the way out to the big ones we must keep. Till death do us part. I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Or I swear to uphold the office of the presidency of the United States. And all the while, with all of those, we'll be disappointed if they're not kept, but not any happier, apparently, if the promiser over-delivers. And that's the theme of our show today. Promises. The ones we want to keep, the ones we know we won't, and the ones that are big enough that if we don't, well, as the saying goes, nobody said it was going to be easy or painless, just worth it. And now it's time for me to keep my promise and get our show underway. I promise you it's going to be a good one. You going to stick around? All right, let's pinky swear and let's roll. Now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR, with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 140 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Sunday, July 17th, 2016. And with me, as always, is my friend, my co-host, my swimming partner this last week, my colleague, and the promise maker of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? It's long time no you see. Got, yeah, you got to watch it with that <laughs> swimming partner thing. Uh, people might take that the wrong way. No, we had a wonderful time. We did have a good time. CMI retreat. And uh, it, the, one of the highlights uh, for the kids was you taking the, the, my two boys out uh, sailing, which was wonderful. I was so honored to be able to be the first guy to take them sailing it's just a that's an honor for me it was really wonderful to be able to take them out it actually shows shows you you know kind of how how i look at 
these type of sporting activities because I just find the expert and then I tag along. That's kind of how I do it. I didn't want to sort of say, hey, kids, I'll take you out sailing and end up in the trees off the coast somewhere. So that would have been the, that would not have been the best yeah. dad. Move, I'm just right? going right, yeah, right to uh, my expertise area is finding really good people that know what they're doing. And of course, you're more than certified in that area. Uh, I am. Yes. I am. I, I, it's been a while, though. I will say it was, uh, you know, it, it, it had been a while for me since I'd been out on the water. So it was just as much fun for me to get out there and, 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 and loll around the, the little bay, the little river there. It was fun. We had a good, we had a good time. It was a good week. Good time. We had uh, 10 of the guys uh, ended up going golfing. Of course, there were, we did the trapeze and we did water skiing. And it was, it was amazing that uh, – and by the way, we did hold meetings. We did do work. Yeah, there were meetings involved there was, as well. There was work done. <laughs> Much well. strategery was discussed, yes. But yeah, so we've got uh, – I think it's 50 days until Content Marketing World. So it's I actually know. a really good time to, to blow off some steam and then kind of see where we're at for CMW16 and where we're going for, <laughs> for 2017 and yes. all that. Focus, as it were. Focus. Yeah, focus is it, would that be the word? Yeah. Focus. Focus, yes. And the re- we hold meetings first thing in the morning for a reason. So we, we have the rest of the day to, to have fun and do all kinds of things. <laughs> to lose the focus, exactly. yes. The, the, the rest focus. of the day was spent losing focus. All right. Well, before we get started, why don't I uh, yeah. go into our, our episode sponsor. And we're, again, oh our episode sponsors are good friends at HREFs. And again, if you want to, one, get found in Google to understand more about who's linking to you. Three, understand how your competition is being ranked. Four, pull data in to sculpt your future content, including content and keyword suggestions. And number five, know what the most shared content is per keyword. Hrefs is a fascinating tool. Give them a try if you can. It's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com. But if you go to cmi.media slash PNR140A, it is hard to believe that 140th episode. I know. know. CMI.media slash PNR140A. And PNR listeners get 30% discount off of usage of the Hrefs tool. So thank you to Hrefs, and please give Absolutely. them a try when you can. You got it. Five things. Those are five good things. Do you, you, as you were naming them off, I was like, those are that's five good things to know. It's five know things, things. I see that every they company do a needs to do. Yes. If, if Href doesn't have a T-shirt like that says a href and sort of with the logo and the sort of, you know, with the, the hyperlink there, it's, it would be, a, we're going to have to tell them to use these five things because I came That's up right. with those five things. They didn't give me, see, this is how much work you and I do for this show. Right. We're not just exactly. given this copy. We actually live it. We live it. People <laughs> we, we love it. Learn <laughs> oh, it. The show is already off the live rails. It. I love these kind of shows. All right. Well, let's move on to it then and get to our first story of the show, which is, okay, so look, there was, there, something happened while we were away for the week and the world exploded. And I don't mean that lightly. I mean, the something happened where everybody got around something and it has turned into a craze. And of course, I mean Pokemon and Pokemon Go. It is, we have to cover this as the top item for this week's show because it is just sweeping the country. And the link that we'll have in the show notes and the story that we'll cover is from adweek.com. And the headline is Pokemon Go inspiring small retailers. Has AR finally gone mainstream? But of course, we're going to be talking about the broader implications of this wild new craze, which is, at, as we speak, really within the last two weeks, 
has started, it, I think they said in the next week it'll start to eclipse Twitter in terms of the number of users. I mean, it's just amazing, the growth of this thing. Pokemon Go, the mobile game that has millions of people running from location to location, starts the article, isn't just a tech bubble fascination on the part of the Twitterati. It's boosting local businesses in the American heartland. Indeed, augmented reality, or AR, appears to be getting its close-up on Main Street. This weekend, we were just people watching and noticed everybody staring at their phones, says John Merritt, manager of City Send Lounge, an eatery and bar in City Flats Hotel in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So we put a sign up. And around 3 p.m. on Saturday, smart move, says the article, and goes on to explain why local businesses are starting to attract people on foot, driving more foot traffic through the idea of being a central place where you can, I guess, catch these little Pokemon on your phone. So... Are you are you playing Pokemon Go on your phone, Joe? I am, <laughs> I am not <laughs> going to come close to doing that. But I have to tell you, my son, my youngest, <laughs> has been into a quite. Uh, there was, we were driving a couple of examples of this, but just the other day, we're driving down the road, and he's, oh my god, oh my god, and I, I think that something really horrible has happened. Like he's, right, he right. got hurt, he slammed his finger, he did. He's, I don't know what's going on. He's like. There's a rare Pokemon over here. You got to pull off, whatever. And I literally almost slammed on the brakes because he's yelling at me. I'm like, wait, wait, what, what, what? Well, <laughs> of course. I, I mean, actually, I I did want, not that time, but the next time I did pull over because there was some kind of gym that he had to go to and defeat somebody and did it. Uh, yeah, so I'm part of it. I don't, <laughs> I don't do it uh, myself, but I... Just yesterday, as we, you know, we got back from the retreat, and I'm driving. Uh, we were driving to the to the interstate, and past a kind of a shopping complex in, in the west side of Cleveland. And literally, there are people everywhere. It's not just like a Central Park, New York right. phenomenon. No, it's a thing. There are now. people, and I'm yeah. looking at them, and you can tell that's what they're doing. There's two people over here, two, two, three over here, all looking at their phones, all going into places trying to figure this thing out. And they're of all ages, by the way. They're not just kids. There are adults yeah, as well, which exactly. is fascinating. But as you were talking about the numbers, I pulled these up just because I think it's so fascinating. So this is from Recode, and it's from July 13th. So these numbers have to be higher from right now. But basically, they're estimating that just in a matter of days, uh, 4.3 million users on iOS, 5.25 million on Android, 9.55 million total daily U.S. users. U.S., by the yeah. way, users for Pokemon Go. Which is why, by the way, um, Nintendo's stock price shot up 70%. That's unbelievable. I've never I seen... Mean, my. Actually, my son was asking me, was there ever a product release that came out where a publicly traded company shot up that much from a product release? And I couldn't remember one that that did it that... Not 70%. Not 70%. I, mean, 70% I think is, 8%, 10%. I think right, we've seen exactly. 20%. We've right. never seen a stock almost double from the release of a game changer like this one. So, I think you're exactly right. I mean, and you know, and I'm, what you know, some of the things that I was looking at and reading on the plane as I was as as we were flying back were just sort of the number of you know, I mean, it's already started, right? The marketing types of opportunities. This Ad Week article speaks to one of them, which of course is for local businesses, which are sort of driving foot traffic. And now I think they came out last week and also said that actually the you will be able to, within the Pokemon application, 
buy ad like have related ads. In other words, if you know if if you're in a by location or by activity, you will be able to be served up related ads. They're going to start monetizing it that way. There are going to be, you know, I mean, just innumerable ways to do this. And, you know, you're already starting to see all the, you know, so many companies try and take advantage of this through, you know, come in here. Yeah, you're seeing it all over social media, too. Do do you know, are they pulling the data from from Google Maps? Like, where are they pulling the data from, the GPS? I have not, I have not dug into the technical details yet, but I'm going to assume that they're pulling it from one of the bigger map organizations because, they have to well be. what's amazing i don't think well, they built their i don't think they built their own map no 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 but, i i don't think so either but what is amazing because i was just watching adam my youngest play and as he's going by a location it actually up it it pulls in a picture of the location that you're at i mean it, that's it's, right it's a really a and i'm looking at this i'm like wow they have they've, they've tapped into uh the the global database mapping database and they've got it all at their disposal and the fact that (laughs) i read this article yesterday that uh, a local electric company actually not local aep had to um put warning signs and things around transformers and electric spots because there were people that were going to get electric pokemon and they were climbing substations and do you believe this well, there was a guy here in, in Southern California, in San Diego County, who walked off a cliff. He literally walked off a cliff and fell to great injury because he was had his, I mean, because that's the other side of this, right? We're going to start seeing people do really, a little girl got hit by a car. She was walking across the street and wasn't paying attention. It got hit by a car. I mean, it's, it, there's a there's another side to this, which is, you know, people are getting arrested for doing really weird, like breaking into buildings and stuff like that. It's. It, there's some weirdness well, too. There's a dark side in a light. There's side a dark side, but I mean, I, I think we I, we should cover before we go on to the next story. We should cover the marketing and, and advertising aspect of it. But what was what was interesting? We were so I'm watching all these kids and adults walk around, and a lot of them are on their bikes and they're going and searching. And I said, you know, the one good thing about this is they're not sitting on their couch. They're actually going outside. Well, and that's like getting all, that's and getting what, activity. Yeah. Well, that's what's amazing. They're going outside and getting activity. And what my son said was, he, he says, "Dad, you know this isn't the first time they've tried this." And I said, "Well, what are you going right. on?" He says, well, we, "Well, they had you know years ago they did that pokey pokey walker, where if you go outside and they, it was almost like a pedometer type of thing, and it kept track of your footsteps. And and as it kept track of those, you got more pokeballs or pokey points or whatever you get with your thing." And he says, "They've always intend." And then he talked about the Wii. So they've always tried to get people to be active with their devices. And I'm like, that's you're right. They are the one. They are the one that are trying to get people yeah. to move instead of just yeah. sitting well, in front of I mean, dogs. And I've been seeing that on my Facebook feed, too, is moms and dads saying, you know, if there's one thing great about this Pokemon get Go game is that it's getting my kids to go play outside. But so, I don't know. So from a marketing standpoint, we're going to see a lot. Obviously, we already sponsored. See, yeah, we yeah. already see the signage it's, happening. And then yeah. there's these things called McDonald's. has got a big deal working, right? You know, where you've got um, McDonald's that'll come in and do a, a big uh, Pokemon Go sponsorship. And I'm sure you'll see product related uh, things with with that as well. Um, you know, and I mean, you'll. St- I mean, I think you're going to start seeing. I wouldn't call them natives, native ideas, but you're going to start seeing content as well as paid sponsorship really start to get integrated with this because if they start, 
basically integrating the idea to it, to to pull in content and you're already starting to see some loose elements of this where it's like you see a local business say come in and once you do this thing in other words you can read our menu or you buy a thing we'll give you yep. you know we'll we'll have the access to some of these rare pokemon if you if you if you if you if you come in do and something. perform this task which pro- which provides a really interesting sort of event based opportunity for those advertisers that want to pull those people into their business and say listen have this experience and then we'll give you the pokemon experience and so you you know you sort of would go through it and hopefully have both and it's it, i think there's a there's just i mean there's so many ideas here that it'll be really interesting to follow this. it'll be interesting if it keeps up i mean i was just we were, well, we were at the mall true, yeah we were at the mall well. in, in orlando and I, I would probably say every fifth or sixth store had a pokemon go sign in front of it like so wow. basically it's, it was the florida mall it was, it's one of the largest malls in the world and it it, it like just think about there must have been a hundred stores 150 stores that were already ready in just a matter of days and already were promoting something around it. It's just yeah. hard to believe that this has, has happened so fast. And we almost think about it. Remember how long it took? What was the, the YouTube video, the the evolution of dance? Remember oh, yeah. the guy and how long? That was the – he had like, I don't know, 4 million or 5 million views at the time. And it was the most viewed video ever on YouTube. And now – you see that happen, you know, what was the what was the mom, mom Chewbacca video? It had 40, sure. 48 exactly. million views 48, in a matter yeah. of a couple of days, yeah. um, and now more than 100 or whatever the case is. So it's, it's amazing how now, because everyone's connected, these things can move really, really fast. Yeah. And go crazy. And, and die just as Oh, fast, yeah, and die right? just To, to your point, to your point, right? I mean, it, you know, this could be a, the, the summer's pet rock, right? I mean, this could definitely... But you know who knows, right? It it it. I think I, it, it's going to be fascinating to watch this. Is there anything for for content marketers out there that we need to be aware of? Do you think? I think well, yeah. I think the opportunities with content are there, but I think it's early, right? And you know, for the obvious reason, I think this is more of a B two C, and certainly certainly much more of a younger persona play. So it's. I think it's a limited set of advertisers. You know, you look at this like a. You know what movies would you sponsor? What enter? You know because this is this is this is truly the influencer marketing, right? Here you have a brand as influencer, and you can tie your brand to it in interesting and different ways. And the creative part of content, I think, will come to me. It'll come in the entertainment piece. So big B two C companies, big you know companies that target very. I mean, I know it's not all young, but it's. It's that demographic for well, sure. But, and you know, I, th- I think that's the. By the way, and yeah, I mean, I don't know what the play is on the media side, but there's blogs that have taken out in local, you know, like if you're covering a certain city and you're talking about you know where the hot Pokestops are and whatever. I mean, basically, you can build mid- little mini stops. media companies. What? It's yeah. you. That's happening right now. I I know you could you could build it's, a media company on the back of Pokemon. You could be the brand. Actually, that does this too. Okay, I'll just leave it right. There. I'm just going to leave that yeah. tucked you away. Just set that, set that down right, right there. I don't have any interest in doing that. Out of the room. <laughs> but somebody yeah. might. It's already <laughs> happening. All right, man. All right, moving on to our second uh, show uh, story here. It is from MediaPost.com, and this one we'll cover quickly because there's not a lot to it, but it's just a really interesting article um, that we both thought there was some fun context in. The title of the article is Why Content Marketing is Bigger Than John Mandel. 
Um, I'm going to be honest, and I had to Google John Mandel. Um, and uh, uh, the, the, the actual editor, uh, Joe Mandees, um, is the editor-in-chief of Media Post and wrote this post. And, and he says, In my last post here, I exploited one of my go-to column idea generators, a Google News Index, to analyze how the news media has been playing the theme of content marketing. Um, this week, I'm exploiting another one, my own inbox. And so he says, hear me out, not hubris, but as editor-in-chief of Media Post, he believes that the pitches and communications he receives from various sources via email is a pretty reasonable indicator of the news value for you, meaning the audience and readers of Media Post. And he says, yes, I know it's inductive, unorganized, it's a function of companies trying to get through to sell you something, but... It's part of this process we're starting to use um, to determine what we publish. So that, an interesting insight there, nonetheless. But anyway, the more interesting part and the part we should have a quick conversation about is the actual quantitative analysis that he did on the types of content that he gets in his inbox. In other words, what is the top five or six or ten things that he gets pitched on a week-to-week basis? So the number one, programmatic. Programmatic being the key word there, 2,500 different pitches he gets per uh, um, uh, in, in the last 12 months. Um, fraud is the second one with 1,400. Native, maybe for the obvious reason, 1,200 uh, pitches there. Ad blocking, 1,000 pitches there. Transparency, 1,000 pitches there. Brexit, 242 po- pitches there. And Pokemon Go, 56, which of course is in the last two weeks. So where did content marketing fall into that? 750 approximately pitches that he got, basically putting it somewhere right in between transparency and Brexit. So, <laughs> I mean, what did, what did you think about this? I, I just thought it was fascinating to see where the audience of media posts puts and has a uh, perception, or at least the people who are trying to pitch media posts, in terms of where content marketing sits in that world. Well, I don't know if it says more about content marketing or advertising. Because the focus is still heavy on advertising. And at the same yeah. time, you could say, well, content marketing is, although nothing wrong with 750, but still, that's a lot of pitches. And he's getting, yeah, exactly. he's getting, you know, multiple, what is, what is that? He's getting, uh, more, two a day, yeah, two, a day two, yeah. two, three a day, uh, which yeah. is, which is pretty impressive. But, um, I guess you could look at it. If you, if you did look at this just for, for fun and you said, what does this say about, the marketing industry right now, you could probably say that we are still, even though things have changed so much, we're still infatuated with advertising. And that's our focus. And that's vendor focus as well. And content marketing is still trying to get attention. <laughs> so let's say that right. is still secondary right. or tertiary, right. if you will. Well, what struck me was is that the, the what really struck me was looking at the context of the basically the four top ones, right? So when you look at the four top ones and you go programmatic, fraud, native, and ad blocking, those are the top four in his in, in his uh, in, in his list there, which just says so much about where the state of media is right yeah. now, where the state of media buying, media placement, media strategy, and trying to get attention from the audiences that we want to market to. It's 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 it that is just right there in front of you looking at basically how do we do more? How do we combat combat the bots and the and the you know false ad impressions of fraud? Where does native fit into all of this? And of course, supporting all of that is this idea of which of my ads are getting blocked. And 
and and and sort of the interesting thing to me is here's content marketing sort of emerging, let's say, and to 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 be an alternative to uh, a strategy that is quickly becoming very very noisy and very very commoditized, and and I just think it's 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 interesting that he felt compelled with certainly he must have seen the the growth here and. Uh, and and said this is something that I'm seeing emerge, you know, quickly rising through the ranks. So I, I like it from a trend perspective, um, but I just thought it was I thought it was a fascinating thing. Yeah, it's um, I, he doesn't put what how many he got pitched the year before, but he does say that in the past twelve months, Media Post has published 294 pieces of content on content marketing itself. That's right. And he says they published that term. That term appears in 1,252 articles since they began indexing. So significant. I guess the it's interesting. We talked about this a lot at the CMI retreat where we our goal in a lot of ways when we launched CMI seven, eight, nine years ago as we formalized it uh, was to to have the General Motors of the world, to have the – GEs of the world, the IBMs of the world, look at a content marketing approach as a significant part of their go-to-market strategy. Well, and here's a... And I think we're getting, like, we're almost, like, I don't know what this says about that, but but I think because of you and I and our dealings with big enterprises, we're there. We're right there now where they're significantly, they're saying, we need to almost reconstruct our marketing organizations in order to create amazing customer experiences. Here's and 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 just to sort of illustrate this, and I know this is anecdotal, but but it it's it speaks to, I think this point uh, directly, which is this week, you and I both got an email from a a college professor, someone we both like very much, and this college professor is a former senior level executive at one of the biggest ad agencies on the planet. And um, and she now is 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 a university professor, and she was introducing us to um, someone else who is a very senior executive, used to work with this person at another ad agency in New York, Madison Avenue, big ad agency, who had discovered CMI and had discovered this content marketing simply by Google searches recently, not like months and months ago, but like in the last two weeks. Why? Because their client, their big consumer based brand that you would know asked them and said, what do you know about this content marketing thing? And they said, we need to know more. And so they started looking into it, found us and said, and then she reached out to her colleague or former colleague and said, do you know anybody there? And she said, oh my God, we do. We, of course, we know the founder and CEO and, and, and the head of strategy there and you should have a conversation. So we end, I ended up having this lovely, wonderful conversation with the head of strategy at a very large ad agency who had just heard about us. I mean, it, it's not like we had been there forever. They are just now starting to bring this into their client's world. And it's a, that's a fascinating thing to me because we get stuck in this inside baseball saying, thinking everybody knows. And, 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 in, and in many cases they don't No, It's still, it's still, it's like, it's just like NBC TV. It's new to you. This yeah, exactly. it's, it's new to you, even though it's a rerun for everyone else. To you, this is it's new. new to you, uh, and well, and we talked about this with the awards, right? It's like we've seen we saw more awards this year that were ongoing, consistent programs built, uh, content brands on their own platform, uh, really trying to build subscribers and audience over time. We saw more of that this year than ever before, but also still the majority 
of the content marketing projects of the year that you and I saw were campaign based. Brand that's right. heavy branded content, heavy, you know, Madison Avenue type, you know, uh, agencies pitching this. Um so I'm I see the potential. I mean, you and I both see that there's still a long way to go, but yet we have come pretty darn far. So absolutely right, absolutely right. All right, enough on that. Let's move on to our next uh, story here. This one comes courtesy, by the way. Huge hat tip to good friend and family of the show, Carlos Abler. Hi, Carlos, hey, Carlos. out there at 3M, um, who is an amazingly talented content strategy guy. And uh, the headline to the article is, Should Publishers Use Medium? Um, and we've talked about this a lot, but this is a just a fascinating, this is, this is a must read for those of you who are thinking about Medium as a platform and want to know more about Medium. Um, it comes from Beckdahl.com, um, which is a media company, I guess. It seems to be a lot of different things with Mr. Beckdahl. Um, and the article opens up by saying, with the rise of Medium and its recent push into a more publisher-focused model, as opposed to the individual focus it had before, many smaller publishers are asking if Medium should become their new home. So let's look at that from the perspective of the current media trends. Before we start, though, he says, I want to point out that the focus of this article is towards small publishers for two reasons. One, big publishers don't benefit from being on Medium. It would be much more beneficial to build up your own momentum directly rather than via Medium. And if you have to turn to Medium to get traffic, you have much bigger problems. Two, while Medium's publishing system is incredibly nice, it very quickly falls short when dealing with complexities of large publications and their many varied ways to interact with readers. But for smaller publications, the usefulness of Medium is dramatically better. I absolutely adored that he introduced his article this, and then it goes on in, I mean... For well, for covering a sh- for covering an article on a show, it's excruciating detail. But for those of you who really want to get into the nuts and bolts of Medium and the reasons why you may want to put a publishing platform on Medium, this is their hosted service, by the way, not just their free service, but sort of putting a, a hosted service to 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 play here. It's just a wonderful detailed analysis and a how-to of getting actually into uh, a medium-based property. What did you think about this? Well, the uh, the author uh, almost gushes at the subscription program that media offer, right. medium offers. That's right. And I've never looked at it. And th- so this is great. So if you are actually looking at charging people uh, to give you money on a monthly, ongoing basis for your content, and they've got different tiers to do it, uh, He's basically saying the medium is the best he's ever seen, and and this guy's yeah. apparently seen a lot of different models. So from that perspective, but I know most of our audience here on this show are not necessarily publishers, but let's talk about it for brands. I would look right. at, I would look at it similarly to the way that we looked at: do we launch a platformer platform on YouTube like a YouTuber would? Do we launch uh, as our core platform on iTunes? Uh, versus, let's say, a blog. I think Medium is in that discussion. If you were going to say, hey, okay, let's say you you haven't built an audience yet and you're trying to figure out, well, where do we keep our home at? It's still, you're still renting here, right? You've got a little, I mean, the the concern, and this is a, you're right, this is a very lengthy article. Like, I'm like, is this <laughs> done yet? Is it done? Yeah, oh right. my gosh, <laughs> we're on the fifth yeah. chapter here. The one thing that is interesting is there is a lot of uh, positives here. To from the subscription program to the the obviously we've talked about on this show the interface uh, the freedom that you get to publish and you've got the built in 
audience. I mean, that's what iTunes brings to the table. That's what YouTube brings to the table. There is an audience already there. So if you don't have an audience, you're trying to get one, you don't have to do as much work as let's say you have uh, a WordPress account where it's not really connected to anything. There's no network around that. But the one warning that I wanted to get your take on is at the end, he brings up the Ev Williams post on Medium that he says that Ev, Ev Williams, the founder, says that uh, the Medium is not a publishing tool. And then the author of this article says, and a year later, they've been focusing everything on becoming a publishing tool. So he's really concerned and say, how do you trust what Medium is doing today? And that'll still be their focus in the next year because they're, you know, fail fast, change often mentality. And that's what you and I have been talking about is, is that when you're, you basically are beholden to the whims of a founder and a team that will change on a dime to, to ma- match the right revenue structure, we're pretty much at their mercy. So that's the, that's the challenge. I don't know if you got that out of it, but that's where I did. I uh, certainly, I did. And you know, where I found this a perhaps appropriate for brands. And again, what we're talking about here is this publishing service that they offer. Um, this is not just go sign up for a free account and start you know, going at it. Um, this is the publishing service that they offer. And it's so many times what I see in bigger brands are an inability to act because the technology gets in the way. In other words, we can't do something because we have this enterprise CMS system and it won't allow us to X, Y, and Z or move quickly or it's going to be a year and a half of implementation time. So we're looking at WordPress, yay. But WordPress is still a project, right? WordPress is still getting that up and now IT wants to install WordPress. And now if there's, there may be an opportunity here for those nascent content marketing organizations that are looking um, to do something quickly to build an audience, to have all the things that they need to build a subscribership as a stepping stone to something different. And so if you look at it in that fashion, right, so it, almost like a rent-to-own, if you will, yep. um, sort of program, then I like it. Um, I do like it because it, what what attracted me to this is that the idea that he 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 prefaces this by saying, you know, look, it's you know, it's not for big publishers. It's not for any, if you have anything complex here. You've got personalization. You've got lots of different publications. Not for you. Or if you've got you know this idea of uh, 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 the idea of uh, your your own momentum, right? You know, the, the it would be much more beneficial for you to start big. In other words, you're a big brand already, and you want to go ahead and get this thing on your own land right away. You've got the budget and the time to do that. Great, go do that. But if you're small and you're trying to do a proof of concept or you're trying to build something that would actually prove effective very, very quickly, but give you the entire platform that you need to act like a small publisher within your brand to sort of show progress and show the ability to actually get stuff done, this is this might be a really good alternative for you to look at if that's your use case. And then, but don't lose the idea, of course, as we've said ad nauseum at this point, that you're going to want to pull these subscribers into your own media platform. And yes, to your point, who knows what the rules could change tomorrow? But I think it's an I think it's an interesting alternative. I actually like that. That's a great idea. If you just thought of what if Medium could be the place where we tested, or we that was those that was our beta 
a test. That's right. Exactly. Our, our proof of concept proof of, so that we can actually use, go do something to go build the business case that we should you do. You do this for six months, yeah. nine months. You get enough. And because, because of the fact that there is an, already an audience there, you have a little better shot at if you're not going to spend significant dollars. Like it's to your point about being a larger brand, it's different because if I start, and you and I have worked with many different ones that have started a uh, blog on WordPress and they put a lot of money behind it to get That's eyeballs right. there. Exactly. They leverage their own internal databases. They leverage AdWords. They leverage uh, content discovery platforms, everything they can so that they have a, basically they don't have to do the organic thing like we did at Content Marketing Institute, waiting basically two years to build that audience without putting money behind it. They can jumpstart that and, and Medium can help a little bit because the audience is already there. That's right. And in fact, in the very the very last line of this, again, very lengthy article is, I need to own my future and you do too. And so I think that's the ultimate moral of this story. But I think it's a great stepping stone to get there. Yeah, the rent to own, the beta test. Uh, so basically, yeah, if you're any, any marketer that's looking at Medium, this would be a worthwhile article to go through. And then that's if you right. are a publisher, by the way, that you want to actually generate revenues from this, which from what it seems like, are nominal at this point. But you can yeah, see that Medium right. is trying to, to build this out so that it could op, it could be an option where a publisher, small publisher, would say, I'm going to start on Medium too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of Medium, we have a hot... See what I did there? How did I did that there? We have a hot sponsor to talk about. <laughs> absolutely. We want to welcome back to this old marketing podcast our good friends at Episerver. Which is offering a new ebook for PNR listeners called, again, right up your alley, Robert, The Four Steps to Simplify the Digital Experience. As a digital uh-huh. marketer, you, meaning you, the listener, face both external and internal challenges from declining organic reach on social to software issues that saps your team's productivity. At the same time, you're tasked with managing content that increases lead count, boosts sales, or raises customer loyalty. In this guide, we go through the four fundamental steps of the digital customer experience. And each four step. Fundamental steps. Four, exactly. Four, not three, four, not two, not three, four, not two. Each four, one of these steps four is the company. Fundamental steps. <laughs> it's accompanied <laughs> by concrete examples to help your customers and their digital experience. So using this guide, you'll learn how to increase organic traffic acquisition on desktop and mobile, decrease the bounce rate for first time visitors, improve your digital marketing through smarter content management. And we all need that, by the way. We do. Download this excellent resource today at cmi.media slash PNR140B. That's cmi.media slash PNR140B. And thanks again to our new friends at Episerver for sponsoring PNR This Old Marketing. Episerver. Uh, just so everyone was clear, that it, it's it's the four steps. It's four. the four steps the four to simplify steps. your digital experience. I wanted to make sure because right. I didn't want you to think there were only three. It doesn't get much simpler than that. No, four steps. Just four. Four. All right. Thank you very much to <laughs> Episerver. And let's move on to your favorite part of the show. This is our rants and rave section when Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that has us... Oh, feeling like the promise was kept and that we did our pinky swear or that, quite frankly, we have broken promises in the dark in the famous Pat Benatar uh, quotation. All right. So let's see. I have this old marketing. So I go first. You go first. And so let's see here. I have a rave this week. 
And it's a short rave, but I just, I loved it um, because, one, it talks about storytelling. This article that we'll link to in the show notes comes to us courtesy of the Wall Street Journal. And the headline, uh, which immediately struck me as one of the, you know, Joe, have you seen the Facebook things like, if you eat bacon, chocolate, and grease, you'll actually live longer. Yeah, or exactly. people who people who, you know, suck down pizza actually have better sex lives or you know, those every time those I see one link. every time I see one on red wine, I think of you, by the way. So Yeah, that, well that, but that's just a fact. I mean people who drink red wine <laughs> that are one is inherently the best, yeah. smarter, more talented, sexy, yeah, the whole thing. That's just that's just the way that <laughs> rolls. Um, but this one, the, the actual article does have some meat to it. Um, and the headline is why good storytellers are happier in life and live and, and in love. And so uh, the article opens up with one of my favorite, uh, ideas here, which is, and I just have to read this. It says in William Shakespeare's time, the word conversation meant two things, verbal discourse and sex. And so that's how intimate the most well-known poet and playwright in the English language viewed the act of talking with another person. I couldn't be more in agreement with that. It's, it's absolutely storytelling, and the ability to have a wonderful conversation with someone is a very intimate act. The story, the, the story goes on for some length and talks about you know this idea of why good storytellers are great and why we struggle at it sometimes and all of that. But here's the, here's the part what I want to rave about. They, uh, the author goes through and sets, well, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six different best practices of how you can become a better storyteller at parties or in business or in conversation and just become a, you know, a, a more focused on your ability to tell a good tale. And it's just six great best practices for us in business as content marketers as well. And so... I'll just go through them really quickly here, but just just they're just wonderful, great reminders of a great best practice in content marketing. So first is remember the basics. As the author says, every good story contains several core elements. Um, as Dr. Winter of the University of Buffalo says, the emotions and lessons of the story have to be true, even if the story itself is a fantasy. Think of Harry Potter. This is where I always in, in my workshop I often talked about. I often talk about this and say. It doesn't have to be a fact, but it has to be true. And that's where we're in the business as marketers of what ought to be the truth. So really getting into the telling of the story in a structured way, beginning, middle, and end, even if you alter things slightly that are true, but not necessarily the facts, is the core of a great story. Second one is set aside story time, where this find a time and a place where you aren't rushed and there are no distractions, and banish the humdrum. Don't talk about household management issues. Don't talk about the kids. They say, blah, blah, blah. This is the wonderful thing that I bring up from John Cleese in his creativity uh, workshop, where he talks about setting the time and the space to actually think of stories and tell stories and be creative in that way, actually making a priority in what you do. Third, he says, start with your first. If you aren't used to telling other stories, it's useful to have a few topics already. Your first anything, your first date, your first kiss, your first dance, your first car, your child, your house, how you met, all those kinds of things are great topics for wonderful stories, so make them, right? And the same in business as well. When we're looking at creating a story, what is our origin story if you're thinking of a superhero kind of idea? Next is tell stories about the past, present, and future. 
highlighting great memories or successes you've had together in the past. You can reconnect, narrating recent events, or telling a story about something that's going to be challenging in the future. It helps illuminate what matters to you. Think about that from a content marketing perspective. It's about what matters to you. What are the what is this is what you speak to, Joe, when you get get to that content tilt and the sweet spot, right? Where what matters to you? What are you best in the world at and what can you tell and teach people to be able to do? Then include your emotions. Show, don't tell, the thing says. She was wearing a red silk dress and my palms got sweaty. Details, all those details can unlock the emotional truth that until now were never spoken out loud, says the article. And I'd say this is, details matter. When you're talking in a story, there's a wonderful passage in the great book I just finished, um, Anne Hanley's uh, 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 writing book, which is just wonderful, which talks about how details matter. Adding in the details really adds in the emotional there. And then the last one is practice. You got to practice. Practice this. Storytelling is an art form. It's like playing the piano or creating a garden, says the article. Um, You can start with something simple and just practice at it. And I'll tell you, I used to tell a story, still do to this day, of how I met my wife and how I got started in marketing and how I got started in business. And it's it's something that I have, I've actually practiced before, and and um, it t- it turns out that it's a pretty good story. So I just love this article. I thought it was great tips, wonderful ways to just reminders of for us and our teams as we're helping them think about how to tell stories. Just a wonderful, wonderful idea. And I thought I'd rave. You know, I love this, especially the part about practicing and. Uh, when we when you and I talk to larger brands and they almost invariably believe that they're not good storytellers, I think a lot of the problem is is that they don't practice it. <laughs> they never That's right. Practice. Exactly. They never actually do quality storytelling. So That's right. uh, as you do more of it, you get better at it. And I think if you've talked to any content marketer, they will tell you that uh, you can't be a, a uh, an expert on day one. It takes you, That's it takes right. you some of that exactly. 10,000 hours that Malcolm Gladwell talks about to get there. So, yeah. Um, all right. I, uh, that was fantastic. I really love that article, by the way. Um, yeah. For my rant slash rave, I guess this is a rant commentary, but I wanted to do something about CMI headquarters, City Cleveland, Ohio. And as you know, Robert, we are holding the Republican <laughs> National Convention this week. As we speak. Week. As we speak. <laughs> you know, yeah. what's funny is I was walking through the airport. I had the family. Uh, we were in the airport yesterday, uh, which I don't know when everybody was listening to this, but this was on Saturday uh, afternoon as we were going through, and the convention starts on Monday. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the whole place changed. There's, I mean, the it, it, they got a total makeover. <laughs> and plus, when we got off the plane, we had not one but two people welcoming us to Cleveland. And I said, oh well, there you go. Yeah, I've been I've been getting off planes for 25 years in Cleveland. <laughs> That's the first time I got welcomed off a plane. So. I was very happy about that. But anyways, um, I was trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to talk about? And then lo and behold, uh, just a couple days ago, uh, the Donald Trump team gave us some wonderful content to talk about. (laughs) A few days ago, Donald Trump announced his vice presidential running mate, Indiana Governor Mike Pence. By the way, this is not political, folks. We don't get political on this show. No. (laughs) Even though we like to sometimes. Not at all. We would like to. So, um uh, announced the running mate, uh, Indiana Governor Mike Pence, and unleashing, let's say, a very interesting logo. Uh, well, as the, in- the as the internet loves to do, the tweets rain down on what most people saw as a, and I don't know about you, Robert, but it, it seemed like a sexually suggestive logo. It seemed that way. At least that's how the internet 
took it and i'm i'll include yes. in the show it is the internet after all right <laughs> it is the exactly. internet I'll, I'll include in the show notes another article from recode uh recounting uh the number of even leaders in the republican party who actually thought it was a fake logo they couldn't believe that is this the real thing and and of course yes it was now as a you know i'm a researcher I'm, i try to figure out why things happen and i and i believe there are a couple theories about how this could have happened now one i'm not discounting the fact that this was done on purpose cuz i i believe in the trump campaign he's done many things on purpose that people feel has been mistakes but that that trump and and the trump campaign uh believe that it would get more attention and they've been doing this for the last year so it shouldn't okay. blow anybody's right. yeah. So it could be that this was purposeful because now everybody knows that uh, who the running mate is because of this whole logo thing and the number of gifts that have been created out of the logo. And if you're interested, some of them very funny. Yeah, if you're interested, you can go out and funny. check them out. We're not going to put the gifts okay. in the show notes or anything like that, but you can go find them fairly easily. Or the second reason is the logo was created by one or maybe a small few group of people, a brain trust, if you will, with very little conversation about it, a little bit of groupthink. They got one or two approvals, and then they ran with it and did very little testing. So the point... I'm going to go with the latter. Let's go with the latter. Let's go with the latter because that's what I'm going to talk yeah. about. So the, only, the point I wanted to make here is that testing can be a good thing. Um, <laughs> so even... <laughs> Even at our CMI retreat, we were talking, and you were there, Robert. We were talking about the direction of the CMI web properties and why we wanted sure. to change a few things here or there. And before making any large decisions, a few of the folks on the CMI staff were, were kind enough to remind us that before we rolled out a few new features, it might be a good idea to test. That's and, right. and we agreed. You know, We were like, yes, that would be a good thing. Instead of just completely thinking that we know everything, to, to do a, at least a small focus group of testing and a survey. And those things, what we call setting up listening posts with our customers, are all really good things. So, But you know, often we get into small group situations. We get a content idea. We roll with it. We invest in it. And then only then uh, we're reminded that if we would have checked with a few people or a considered group or our customers – we would have found that the idea had already been tried or a reason that maybe it shouldn't have been tried in the first place. And, you know, when I was thinking about this, Robert, I can't remember. Actually, I do know what the company was, and you know this too. But, you know, the company that you and I used in an example where they spent like $60,000 or something on doing a research project, and they got it all complete, and they got all the research, the, the results in, and they found out that they had just commissioned another uh, research organization to do that research project. And the person that was in charge of it was one cube away from the other person. That's <laughs> they right. just needed to talk <laughs> exactly. to each other. Right. So the point is get some kind of a, an executive content advisory board together, editorial team of some kind, so you can run ideas by them. So it's not just you and it's not just a few groupthink people uh, where you're making some decisions and, and you're going to waste some money that you shouldn't. And, and maybe maybe you wouldn't do something uh, like the, the Trump-Pence folks uh, got themselves into. So I just uh, just a reminder that testing, my friend, can be a very, very good thing. So. Testing and communication—it's a—it's it, they're they're small words, but they're important they're words. Very <laughs> important <laughs> things. And actually, what's interesting is is if you get a chance to read the Recode article, they talk about it. And of course, our our friend Jonathan Mildenhall, who's CMO over at Airbnb, 
they talk right. about that whole thing with the sexually suggestive Airbnb logo, and they still don't want to talk about that logo. They've kept that pretty buttoned up with that whole thing, but they use that that as well as as a possibility of of just not enough testing behind it. So. Yeah. Yeah, or, well, then there's the whole, I don't know if you ever saw this, there was an article that looked at the Airbnb logo and looked at a logo from like 1950 or something like that, which was in a classic art book that it almost is an exact duplicate. Oh, jeez, anyway, I didn't a, know that one. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, there, there's, 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 a whole, there's a whole. Uh, but I'm pretty sure there's, there's, not, there's nothing like the Trump Pence logo. No, well, there's, yeah, that's. I don't think you'll find that in an art book, my friend. Exactly. Well, anyway, we should move on. Just go. Go, go, go. (laughs) All right. It is the final namesake segment of our show, of course, is our This Old Marketing. And I am proud to be able to bring you a really cool one. And it's rare, I will say, when the stars align um, and that one of our upcoming clients is actually the This Old Marketing example. But as I prep for my trip this coming this week um, out to uh, our one of our new clients, Allegian, um, which uh, is a holding company, really a, a, a brand name, um, but they are the provider of security products um, uh, for both homes and for businesses. Um, they've got 31 different brands of security products like Schlage Locks is probably the one that you're probably most familiar with. Von Duprin uh, and Interflex are some other ones that are a little more commercially focused. And so it's a $2 billion company. They employ about 8,000 people around the world. Um, they sell company or com- uh, products globally uh, across the world. And so they're a spinoff from Ingersoll Rand, which used to make all those products and have been so for the last three years. Um, And so, but even prior to that, so even spun off from that, they have been doing a site, a a content marketing focused site called idighardware.com. Now, the reason I love this example so very much is because very often I hear well, our product isn't sexy or we're boring. We're not Lego. We're not, you know, we're, we're not, you know, super interesting. We don't have that much to say in our, and, you know, we're a manufacturer or something like that. And this is just such a great example of taking a very niche audience, developing value for that audience consistently over time and actually having it mean something. And so the manager of the site, Lori Green, who's over there, and I'll actually get, I've spoken with her a few times on the phone already, and, and of course, we'll meet um, when I get to, to meet with the whole team over there at Allegion. She, uh, in 2008, so we're talking now almost, what, nine years ago, um, she started this thing. She is a consultant with the company, and she heads up their codes and, and, and resources and, and, and basically helps architects figure out the right codes and resources and products to uh, put into buildings as they start thinking about the locks. And she, as she says personally, she says, oh, I can't tell you how many times I heard an architect say, I can't stand hardware. She, they, they just can't stand it. And so they, she started working, you know, in this industry for a, for a long, long time. And so she actually turned that around and started a site to answer every single question that might come up from one of these architects or people who deal and have to install big commercial, you know, lock systems into schools and government buildings and, and, um, you know, in commercial properties and, and even homes to some extent and provide resources for them. So she started this site called idighardware.com in 2008 and she quite literally just a couple of week, uh, a couple of days ago published sort of her results over the last um, few years. You know, so since 
2008, she's had 2 million page views, a million visits, half a million visitors, 2,200 subscribers um, that get the daily um, uh, email, and uh, 1,500 published posts over the last, whatever it is, seven, eight, nine years. And so it's a really nice little thing that they've got going over there. What value has it produced? Well, it's produced lots of different interesting opportunities, though they're just starting to start to tie that into sort of the more um, marketing uh, levels as they as they sort of become more Elegian focused as opposed to the spinoff focused. She's answered uh, questions from product managers who are finding value in what she's doing from an insight perspective. She's developing a wonderful brand awareness for all of the different things that they're doing doing from both the services side as well as the um, as well as the product side and creating a great wonderful amazing community here of people who are really interested in commercial lock systems and providing education for it and and they've been doing it consistently now our job is going to be to go in there and help them tie this a little more strategically into what they're doing from a marketing perspective and really make it a function just to your rave, sort of how to make this, you know, how to create an editorial board, how to make it more formal, how to create a process behind this, and really launch very, very focused efforts around this. Because to date, it's really just been something that she launched on herself and has been working successfully for them for the last few years. And I think just an amazing, you know, how something can grow organically and become a strategic piece of the business only, you know, when you set your mind to it. And a wonderful example of this old marketing. Well, that's amazing. It sounds like you've got something to work with as you go in there too. It's, it's so, it's, yeah, it's so refreshing to actually walk into a company and just say, they've got something going. They just need to, you know, figure it out. And it's just, we're going to start road mapping from that point forward. It's just, I'm, I'm excited to go out there and meet the team and they've already got a really talented set of folks that are working in marketing and, and doing stuff. And I'm going to be there to hopefully add a little bit of value to that from a content marketing perspective. So after you're done, you're going to have that on the medium platform and you're going to have uh, pokey stops <laughs> set up. <laughs> Get your pokey locks, <laughs> your pokey locks and pokey stops. All oh right. So gosh, you have a busy yes. week this week, obviously, of travel. I do. I do. Yeah. I do. It's a busy week of travel. I'm, 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 I'm away all week. I'm back. I'm, I leave tomorrow, which is one of the reasons we're recording today. And, and then I'll be back on Friday. And then I'm, then I'm off for a week um, uh, before I travel again. So it'll be nice to be home. Good. Yeah, this is just a content week for me. I've got, I think I've got a couple three or four maybe webinars that i need to do a couple All articles right. to write uh, so it'll be nice being home but but definitely you know have to catch up for some time away so absolutely we'll be doing absolutely that. there you go all right folks that is it uh for show number 140 for joe polizzi this is robert rose we are signing off and if you like this episode again number 140 do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com and leave us a review, won't you? If it's a really, really great review, this is this old marketing. If it's going to be a bad review, that's not. It's with something different. And when you subscribe or if you leave us a review, let us know. Hashtag this old marketing. We would love to thank you personally. And of course, story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. Hashtag us up at this old marketing on the Twitter and tweet us up. And you know, if you've got a question and you prefer email, you can always get us at this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links that we talked about today will be available in the show notes, which are available on Monday night when we publish, and of course on the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.